Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to episode three of the American Rugby Show. I'm one of your hosts, Alex Corbusero. And we're still waiting on Todd's return, but he will be back with a bang next week. Abby is back on the show this week. She is leading the Eagle Watch segment, chatting with none other than USA Women's 7 superstar Naya Tapper as they check in in Dubai after their opening round of action. But I want to make an announcement on this show. There's been someone who's been here every week so far. He is well known in the American landscape. He is a former coach of the year in the MLR. The analysis, the passion, it's everything this pod needs. We have brought none other than Rob Honley on as a full-time host of the show. Thanks, mate. Uh, couldn't keep up with the international jet setters, Abby and Todd. I mean, they're obviously the ones that bring a bit of a glam to the pod, but uh, happy to be here in their place and I'm sure we'll have a good time. We have Matt Turner on for the State of the Union, Rob. And, uh, you know, it might be a bit of a sore subject with, with, with the past final. I'll see how many times I can bring that up on the show. But uh, it, it's fantastic to have, a, you know, a guy who's been on the ground for the MLR since year one, who, who's a, a, a key cog in that Seattle Seawolves machine from a coach, from a player, from off-field logistics. He seems to be a jack of all trades. We thought we'd bring him on. We've got you and him who've been on the ground from day one in the MLR to give those sort of insights and, and to just talk about the MLR, his experiences in Seattle in general. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have Matt on and a really enjoyable chat with him. Obviously, he's been the backbone of that franchise and uh, a two-time champ. Can't say any fairer than that. Um, I might try and avoid that for as long as possible. But uh, yeah, great to have Matt on and uh, and looking forward to that conversation. Some bullet dodging going on for sure. All right, well, let's... <laughs> All right, let's crack on with the show. It's time for the State of the Union. So, lads, here we are, the State of the Union. I've got two MLR OGs, as I like to call it, guys who are there from on the ground on day one. Yeah, great to have Matt on, two-time champ, trying to gain some insights um, on what your journey's been like through the first four years of MLR and, and where you see it going in the future. No, good. Firstly, uh, thanks for having me on the show. I've been waiting for the invite, so, you know, dreams do come true. <laughs> right, episode three. You're on episode three. No complaining here. Right, hopefully it's third time lucky for you guys. <laughs> With everything uh, at the Seawolves, um, you know, there's a lot of worry that we wouldn't have a season. Um, you know, being up in a, you know, we're in a very uh, cautious state, Washington State. You know, everything opens up last We'll open up last year. Um, and then, as you mentioned, you know, there's been a reshuffle in ownership, um, not, not really from an investment a uh, percentage point of view, but actually in the day-to-day -day sort of driving of the, of the team. Um, so that obviously happened pretty late, um, you know, two weeks before we were meant to start preseason, all these sort of things happened. Um, but since then, you know, we've just plugged away and got, got forward with what we needed to do. Um, and then... Sort of my side from being with Seattle from the get-go, I've been sort of a man of many, uh, many jobs and haven't managed to master one of them yet. <laughs> I'm still working on all of those. Um, but from a, you know, I've been helping the back since day one. Um, I was lucky enough to, you know, Phil was guiding me uh, year one, two, and three, right? So it was quite nice to learn off him. Um, and then, you know, in the office stuff as well, you know, we do all the 
logistics was my first role. I was doing flights. I was driving buses. I was doing all sorts of stuff year, year one and two. And slowly I've managed. This, this, sounds, this sounds familiar, Matt. Yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting the vibe. You know, so you, you, to be MLR, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You've got to have a lot of roles. Yeah. And it, it, it has kind of slowly started. The list is getting shorter. It's still, you know, I'm only, I say I'm 5'8", I'm probably 5'7". The list still touches the floor. Um but at least it doesn't roll up. Um, but yeah, we it, we're slowly growing out the 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 staff, um, and you know, handing over sort of delegating people to actually fulfil real roles. Um, so that that's that's been pretty nice this season. But obviously, you know, I can't complain of how things have gone. You know, since we we kick started. And what about your ambitions, Matt? Because you said you were interested um, not only in coaching, but in growing the franchise and growing American rugby. A big passion of mine is giving back uh, to rugby. Um, and I feel I'm more tailored. I mean, I love coaching, but it's not it's not a real passion of mine. You know, I, I feel I can help on the commercial side where it's growing the game from uh, grassroots, you know, helping finding sponsors for community projects. That's the sort of stuff that I'm interested in. Um, you know, it's, we need to build a base of rugby. We need kids in high school to play rugby. We need, you know, the the only way, unfortunately, at the moment for big companies like a T-Mobile, et cetera, to come in is if we are helping the community, right? And that for me is the, the biggest growth point we can have, um, in, in every region, right? We want young kids coming to the doors and aspiring to play MLR. Um, you know, we've, Hopefully, there's a point when we're not looking overseas the whole time uh, to fill gaps in squads, but it's come from a kid who started rugby at 13, not not a kid that started rugby at 21. Um, you know, we just got to get the years of rugby and in, into the, the next generation. Um, and then, obviously, I, I think there's a massive upside commercially in the sport over here. I think it will be the biggest rugby market in the world within 10 years. Um, I think for, for players to come from overseas to america everyone wants to come play some sort of sport in america it's the place so if the league keeps trending where it's going um and we land a broadcasting deal i think we'll start seeing a lot more big names coming over not purely because of the the dollar amount but the experience that is so different in every team you know some of those goals that you are aiming for of the growth. What what are the biggest hurdles you face, and and what have been some of the biggest challenges to that so far in in the infancy of the MLR? Um, I mean, I can only speak for us up up in Seattle. Um, a lot of I, I find a lot of kids specialize in sports pretty early over here. There's not many, you know, if they want to go pro, they specialize. They play basketball. They play football. Um, you know, they don't. You know, you, you need a multi-sport, right? So so getting into the heads of, hey, this can be a reality, not just this is a, a rugby camp, come throw a ball around once once in a while, right? It's, it, it's changing their mentality so they can see the final product and say, hey, that's what I want to do. And then, you know, you can plan out, this is how you get to that, get to that point, the MLR point. So we need to put the infrastructure down saying, hey, this kid likes rugby. What can we do to help him get there? Instead of, you know, you, you look at the big factories, the NFL factory, it's, there's so much option for these kids to play, you know, boys and girls to play, um, well, just boys currently to play football. But there's no pipeline and there's no filters. There's no, there's no path for American kids to play for the MLR. 
you know, you can say, oh, you can go to this academy, go to that university, but there's not a simple, clear, direct path. Yeah, and I think uh, picking up on that, Matt, I think the way we're going to grow that has to come at community level. Uh, and at the moment, that's through MLR because there is this big, shiny object uh, to reach out for. Uh, the pathways aren't really in place at the moment, right? but I think Corb's having ambassadors like Matt that are invested in the game, that he has the knowledge from his experience of around the world in different arenas, plus Matt has been the backbone of that Seattle uh, franchise, knows American rugby inside out now. That's the way we're going to grow it and have having those figureheads that have the knowledge and really care about the growth because it has to come from the community level, I believe. Um, and then just moving on from that, Matt, in terms of attracting people and showing there is a pathway and there is something to aim for. I mean, this year you've you, you had the experience of playing in two beautiful stadiums, right? You've gone to uh, to Houston and to LA. And how was that experience, the, the new experience of playing at the Coliseum this year? Because that's certainly th- something that's going to turn a few heads and attract some young players. Yeah, I mean, that that's amazing, right? I just, just wish there was had some fans in there. Right, that would, that would have been. I we just called shouting for LA. All I could hear was scrum. We'll take a scrum. Push harder. <laughs> That's my boys. He's dropping his mind, so he's dropping his mind. Um, no, you know, it, that, that's the exciting thing. You know, that's kind of setting again. LA, you, you're setting where this league can go, right? LA's done that this season with a with with a iconic location like that. You know, I, when I walked out, so luckily I know a couple of the LA boys, and I was just saying, you know, I walked out there in the bottom half of the field. I was like, if that was like the South Stand in Hong Kong, this would be one of the best. Rocking. It'd be rocking, right? Yeah. You know, and, and, mm. and I think that's where ownerships need to, to head for, right? It's one of, well, first of all, we've got to get fans in the stage, in the stands. So, how are we going to do that? Solo festival, you know? I'm not sure a lot of people. I mean, LA maybe Giltinis, a couple Martinis might get a few people in there. Um, but it's a, you know, that 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 that's the exciting thing, right? The standards are getting set. Houston's own facility, beautiful, unbelievable, great experience, fast track, beautiful field. Most importantly, both fields have rugby lines. Um, not this confusing when you look at the product on TV and you're like, hey, what are all these yellow boxes and blue boxes all over the field, right? What are these things? That needs to be the standard that needs to be set by the league. And the next thing is whatever goes on TV has to be of the same standard, right? You click across from an, an LA a Coliseum where the field's beautiful. There's a guy cutting the grass with a pair of scissors, right? And then you go, you know, I know obviously there's been relocations and I'm going to have a dig at San Diego because the rivalry, you flick across to Las Vegas and they're in a, a public park with Ben, you know, with a... 45 degree angle on TV, right? I, I think there just has to be consistency there. We talked about bringing in the big sponsors and one way is through the element of, uh, you know, growing at the, the grassroots and almost like a, a putting some charity into the community, but also they want their name associated with a, a brand where there's a standardized product that's going to be the viewing point for their, for their brand to get out there. So yeah, I think that's important. Um, and then speaking of those two games, Matt, just give us um, give us your reflection on the start of the season for Seattle. And obviously the tough question, because I'll give you an easy one after this when you can talk about the final where you beat Legion is, you know, one win in seven in the last seven. So 
what is it you guys are focusing on uh, in getting back to obviously the only champs in the history of MLR and getting back to that kind of form here? Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, I keep telling the boys every week, it's not the same league, right? We, you can't expect it to things to just to happen. Um, you know, there, there's, <laughs> this is a hard one to, to say, but there's a lot of hard work that needs to be done. Right? Everyone's saying, oh, you know, the first couple of games is, you know, get your, get your groove. But, you know, if you're not finding that gear, you're never going to go forward, right? So we, you know, obviously we had a big reset after LA. Uh, we got taught a very big lesson, um, you know, and, uh, you know, we, we parked those two games and our season starting next weekend against uh, Utah. Um, but again, we have to raise our standards and not assume what we did in one, year one and two is going to be good enough to even compete in year four. That brings us on nicely to... How how do you see that the the, the league has actually developed from what uh, season one to four? Because uh, you know, from my point of view, it's almost unrecognisable. Um, you know, you talked about the different hats that you were putting on in in, in terms of organisational behind the scenes, uh, and sometimes it's like you know, you get to the weekend and you see the duck on top of the water, but you don't see the, the legs flapping beneath the water to get there. Um, and hopefully, it's a little bit more serene in the week in the build up. I know that maybe in the COVID situation, maybe not. But how how do you what do you see as the big uh, changes from season one to season four? Um, I mean, obviously, you know the travel stuff's kind of sorted itself out, right? We year year one and two was a lottery. If you get to the the car rental, and there's actually a car there for you. Um, <laughs> so you know the league's doing the league's doing the best they can with with all the travel stuff. Um, and the systems they've put in place, you know, using Teamworks and all these sort of software and actually using a bit of technology to make their jobs easier instead of poor Emma getting hounded with 5,000 emails a day. <laughs> yeah, thankless task, isn't yeah. it? Team managers and coaches and players hounding, hounding the, uh, the central uh, system every day. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that, that, that stuff's become more streamlined, right, because – you know, year one and two, the league's trying to find its feet. The league's not sure if it's going to be a league much longer, so they're not investing in that that area. Um, but now everything seems to work pretty pretty cushy. I mean, obviously, the COVID side of things makes it pretty hard, having to do two tests a, a week, um, you know, getting off a plane after being in LA, spitting into a jar in a terminal, and having to get stuff to UPS by 4 p.m. There's those, those sort of headaches at the moment, but... Again, it's it's the world we live in now, right? One one of the questions that I think you know, if you're talking about the development of MLR and its growth, for for we've got you two guys both here. How, how has the recruitment side developed? Because I think one, it's obvious the caliber of internationals coming to league is higher, but it also feels like you guys now the league is more established. This product that's going on, big name, have more of a pull factor to try and reach out and. And, and convince guys to come here? Or is it more a factor of them actually reaching out to you now that the league is starting to establish itself around the world? Year one, obviously, you know, you're selling this, an idea of a league in America, right? You're saying, hey, listen, there's an opportunity to be part of the new big rugby league in America. Um, and if you look at the guys that came over year one, you know, and I'm one of those guys, I was looking for something new. Well, I was looking for new opportunities and something that, you know, I, I could use rugby to get me to a place to help grow the sport. Um, you know, obviously being in the UK for a long time, it was, I never wanted to go back to the UK. <laughs> I still don't. Um, I don't think any of us do. I don't think any of us do. You're selling them the, the idea of 
this new exciting league, right? Um, and now year four is, hey, we've got an established league. They've seen the products. Again, they want to they want to come give America a go. I know for a lot of South African boys and English boys, they they're sick of the same thing. You know, they're sick of jumping on a bus going from Bristol to London or you know to Exeter or back in Cape Town. They're sick of catching a two-hour flight to Joburg, and that's your experience of rugby. Um, I think the actual experience of rugby here is, as you know, every team is in a every state is different, right? It's like another country. Um, and then just the, the, again, it's the shiny lights, right? It's LA, New York. If you're into tech, Seattle. You know, there's massive opportunities outside of rugby for guys in all these places. So, Matt, you took a, a, almost a leap of faith like, because I, I remember when we were speaking to people at, at the start, it was maybe we were convincing guys that maybe had a bit of an injury or were at the end of their their road. I mean, you were much more in your prime, so. Uh, or, or, or thoroughly in your prime, you're laughing. You're laughing Still in his prime, mate. <laughs> anyway, they scored about 40 points when they first played us. Yeah. Uh, so uh, very much in his prime. So um, was your perception coming in, I mean, it's almost hard to know what to expect. Was your perception similar to what you experienced or was it something completely different and new? Or how did that kind of match up for you and your experience? Yeah, it was, I mean, I, obviously every experience I, I have, you know, I, I don't go with any expectations, right? Because you can either find yourself very happy or very disappointed, right? Going into anything with expectations. The way I looked at it is, you know, I got told there is, it's a startup. So business brain of mine is like, all right, I'm probably going to walk into a big hole that I need to start filling up. Um, and then, you know, I just thought to myself, what is basically a startup in, in rugby? And luckily I've played in a lot of them, Invitational Sevens tournaments, right? Yeah, I just thought I'm arriving in Seattle. It's the same as me arriving in Hong Kong just before the the tens. You don't know what you're gonna get, right? But just remember where you're going. So I'm in Hong Kong. There's not, not much not to like about wherever you land, right? So I, you know, for me, that's that's just how I approached the whole thing. Um, and you know, with, with nothing being set up, it enabled us to to build it how we wanted it to. You know, and I, I had a little bit of input on how we started building things and how we are building things. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously grateful I didn't walk into a, a structured thing like you do all when you go to a Bristol and that sort of stuff. It, it's you, you walk into a system that is just churning its gear, Blank. powering through, right? So you have a little bit of, yeah. but, but you can put a bit of your flavor into it. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that's the most appealing thing uh, from our perspective as we built it. You you go in with a blank slate. You don't mm. get that. You don't get to do that anywhere else in the rugby world, no. because everywhere else they've got uh, an expectation from the legacy of the club, the history, yeah. what the fans want, uh, what the the directors, the owners want. But here we have a blank sheet, and you can just build it in your own vision. So you can just look around the world, and with all your experiences, Matt, you, you know you've got so many places to cherry pick from and say. This is the way we're going to build it for us, for our players and fans to just have the most fun they can possibly have, which hopefully will take us along to winning. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I can completely see how you viewed the opportunity and, I'm, and you brought the perfect attitude. And unfortunately, there's probably some players that have missed out along the way because they didn't have that attitude mm. of, as you say, you come in and you're going to fill the hole. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's the, uh, an amazing um, attitude to take. Um, and, and, and just following on from that, Matt, 
is there do you if you could have like a shopping list of things at this point in year four that would help you guys as players uh, enjoy the experience even more is there anything you can think of there that would help you guys um the the media one that comes for us and i can only speak of seattle and i'm sure a couple other teams on the same boat is a home if that makes sense a high perform- yeah. a, a high performance center it doesn't have to have a all the best stuff. It's just somewhere where we can go to work. Um, you know, yeah. going to a rented stadium where you get kicked off by, you know, our session ends at 9.30 in the morning and the Sounders Academy boys, the under-12s, kick us off the field. Um, you know, Don't mess with those under-12 yeah. Sounders boys. You know, not them. Yeah. Just just stuff like that, right? It, it And then you drive off, you go to a, a, you know, a gym that's not your own gym, right? So it's lots of, Lots of little things like that. There's no workplace. Um, and I know as a player, you know, that's one good thing about those big setups overseas is, you know, there's there's a cafeteria, there's table tennis, there's a chilled out area. You've got computers set up to do video analysis. You know, you you can then demand higher standards from guys. Matt, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Like, I think, you know, the insights of someone who's been on the ground, just keep doing what you're doing. I think th- this whole uh you know sport is is still in its infancy here and and professionalism is we're still crawling in diapers really and so to have people like yourself on the ground as committed to it as rob and 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 i hope in the long term continues to be involved in some capacity um it's people like you guys that do a lot of the unseen work that actually get this product off the ground and and thanks for coming on and it's absolute credit to have you and your insights as well no thanks for having me on it's always great to chat to people with the same mindset about American rugby and, uh, you know, let's just keep it going. Cheers, Matt. Great to, great to have you on and, and good luck against Utah next week. Thank you. Appreciate it. Welcome to Eagle Watch. I'm Abby Gastitis and I'm so honoured to have this special guest with me, my teammate, absolute legend of Rugby Sevens, Naya Tapper. Welcome. Hi, everybody. Abby, thank you for having me on here. I'm super excited. We are actually here in Dubai in our separate hotel rooms, isolating after our first competition. And your first competition in how long? 14, 15 months? A long time. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a second. Um, tell, talk me through it a little bit. Uh, we had our invitational tournament last, this mm-hmm. past weekend. I was super excited, you know, I was ready to play some other competition and kind of have a reminder and reassurance that I can still do what I had been doing in the past. Um, Coming into this first weekend, that first game, I definitely was a little bit nervous because I hadn't been in that environment in a very long time. But once kickoff happened, you know, it was like, okay, you know, this is what I do every day. This is what I do for a living. So kind of all those nerves went away and it was a slow buildup for me. For those listening, it was an absolute scorcher this weekend, like 100 (laughs) plus degrees playing at 2 p.m. Like I wasn't even playing and I honestly was dying in the warm up. So how was that a huge factor for you? Definitely. You can kind of notice it in some of the games. I had to acclimate to it pretty fast. Um, Not only just the heat, but having not been in the rugby training environment as much as I needed to be in order to perform how I want it to be. So that was kind of discouraging a little bit every day, like trying to fight the mindset of, you know, it's going to take a while to get back to that rugby 
fitness that you want to be at. And so the heat didn't help that, but you know, that's part of what we do, like working through those adversities. Definitely. And I feel like part of rugby sevens in general, like we're always chasing the sun. It seems like it's yeah. always playing the hottest temperatures, which yeah. is brutal. the most brutal sport in the brutal conditions. <laughs> and then, so with COVID traveling here, like how different is it for you compared to where we were, you know, back in 2019 um, traveling for tournaments? It's just uncomfortable. You know, we have to wear so many masks when you're on the plane and traveling. It's already hard to breathe at that. Um, everything is really restricted and you have to be super precautious. And also in the back of your head, you're like, I don't want to catch COVID. So it's a lot going on and we're sacrificing a lot to be able to continue traveling the world and playing rugby. So kind of taking every little improvement improvement that we get as a good step forward to where we want to be in the future and kind of just remembering the big goal and why we're doing it definitely I love that it's so different and like you know we come in we isolate in the hotel room and yeah. we're just by ourselves so mm -hmm. it's it I feel like it has a plus and minuses both you and I can both spend some <laughs> yeah. time by ourselves so it doesn't affect us as much yeah. our teammates man they'd be like in the hotel room for five hours by themselves dying someone help me <laughs> yeah but no so okay first weekend back in we got another one coming up this weekend it's only five days in between i think yeah so we got we lost a day there mm -hmm. um what are you what are you going to focus on uh in this like little break and recovering and then going into tournament two um, skill wise, I just want to focus on really pressuring that outside. I noticed in this previous tournament, there were opportunities where I could have probably tested the outside a lot more and trusted my speed. So that goes along with kind of remembering what I do best and doing that. So I think that's one thing that I want to focus on is really testing that speed on the outside and making those defenders on the edge really work for the tackle on me if they are able to get it. Um, and also just like the fitness aspect of consistently pushing myself no matter how tired I am because that's not really really an excuse because everybody's tired you know and if they're pushing through it so can I so just getting to that mental state of being able to push myself past the limits that I've created for myself absolutely I think the the brain and the mind it's one of our biggest like so hindrances big. right yeah like you have to push through and I mean we work a lot with sports psych and mm -hmm. have different routines is there anything that you do particularly to try and like break that barrier or bring yourself back one of the things I've started doing is like going into the games and telling myself okay like you're going to be tired but don't put your hands on your knees like yeah. don't don't show them you're tired that's something that brownie ingrained in me that's really important to him is your body language and how you look so that kind of that confident that power pose it's like even if you don't feel confident that power pose makes you feel confident so it's the same thing in terms of like fatigue it's like even though you're tired pretend you're not and possibly maybe that you won't feel that way so just kind of working on that definitely and deter the other team from running yeah. at you. don't come <laughs> this way I'm ready for you I'm not really ready for you but I'm ready for you exactly. <laughs> it's all a mind game yeah I love what you said like just backing yourself and getting that confidence back I think that's mm -hmm. something that we, just as a team and individuals we struggle with a little bit like playing again against op 
other oppositions now is mm-hmm. like we're a bunch of badass women you know like yeah. we're on this team for a reason you have an x factor you're one of the best in the world and mm-hmm. i saw a lot of highlights of that this weekend though i know you're you're being a little harsh on yourself but those some you in the breakdown is unreal and like do you love that like because you tackle someone you get mm-hmm. right back up and your hands are on that ball so quick. I'm like, how did she get that? Yeah. And is that something you like? Is that like a little niche of yours? Like, do you like doing that? Uh, yeah, only because like, <laughs> if I get the ball back, we don't have to play defense. <laughs> and like, I feel like defense is the most tiring thing. So it's kind of a motivation to, and like my teammates, that makes them happy. And it makes Brownie and the coaching staff <laughs> happy. And it probably just pisses off and discombobulates the other team. So for me, like the praise that I get from it, the motivation it gives my teammates to go hard um, and just that it's something that I've become really good at randomly. I don't even know like where it came from. It just started happening. I'm like, okay, like they love it. So I love it. So yeah, do it for you guys. We appreciate it. It's definitely puts a smile on our face when we've been defending for two minutes and then it's like oh we get to play attack like yeah. this is the fun part that's awesome um and speaking of Canada first time mm-hmm. playing them in mm-hmm. a while and I mean you didn't get the opportunity to play in Spain but you know we played France there played Russia good competition but yeah what's it what's it like playing Canada I mean our North American rival mm-hmm. um it's always fun for me mainly because I know it's going to be a challenge and it's going to be an opportunity for me to me and my teammates to really test the things that we've been working on because that's playing against one of those Olympic teams that will we definitely come up against so it's good it's a good test of like where where we are at the moment because they're always gonna you know come out with their best so that requires us to do the same so um it's always fun for me I love going up against aggressive girls because I don't I it seems like it brings that out of me and that's really good for me um and it's always good to be challenged and they're a team that is always going to challenge you because that allows us to get better absolutely I love that Mm -hmm. they're always up for it I mean no matter no matter the score the outcome like you always walk away and you're just like damn that was a good Exactly. It was well fought. Both sides. We're both physical teams. We both Mm -hmm. have power and pace. And you know, I like when we take the edge. Unfortunately, that was our only loss of the weekend. Yeah. Um, But we played five other games. Won all of them. You know, France, Brazil, Kenya, Um, Japan. Japan. Yeah. Yeah. And all (laughs) in the Olympics. Mm -hmm. All have Olympic spots. So yeah, this was a great um, tournament. Loved it. How about like, so speaking of the Olympics, we're building up, it's already April. Yeah. So May, June, July, it is uh-huh. coming quick. Yeah. Is that like, do you feel any pressure from that or is it just excitement? <clears throat> Actually, yesterday I was thinking about it and I thought it was further away, but now <laughs> that you say it, it's like three months. Uh, for me, not really, you know, I'm kind of a, go with the flow and I think we're doing what we need to be doing as a team to be prepared for when we get there um even though like our whole schedule has been jacked up you know our team has been very um adjustable to the situation and very positive and accepting of this is how it is what are we going to do to make sure that regardless of these circumstances we won't use this as an excuse when we get to that 
Olympic stage. So um, I'm super, I'm super excited. I'm not too pressed about time, you know, especially with like how it got pushed back last year. Now it's like, I just want to enjoy the moment that I'm in right now. And when that time comes, that time comes. It's so hard sometimes to not let your mind just take you there. And, yeah. you know, speaking for both of us kind of in the mix before Rio and just di didn't make the cut and mm -hmm. you you we got so close and then yeah. to just to not achieve that goal was mm -hmm. it's devastating right and so yeah. what, what would it mean to you to just be able to make the olympic team and just represent the usa that's my biggest goal right now which is the case for a lot of us and that just would for me would open up like a lot of doors that i've been knocking on not many people can say like, I am going to the Olympics. I'm going to participate in the Olympics. That is a very rare accomplishment. And that is only the first aspect of making it to the Olympics. You want to make it, but then once we get there, you know, we want to bring home the gold. So um, I'm, I don't, I'm like super excited. I know my family's going to be so proud and my friends, like they're going to have something to brag about for the rest of their lives. And I think that's, important to all of us is making our family and friends proud who are the a big part of why we are here and why we are able to stay mentally sane and do this on a daily basis outside from the fact that we love this sport definitely we i mean we go through a lot to, we yeah. put our bodies on the line we train day in and day out and i know we yeah. complain about it it's too, a tough environment it really is and yeah. I mean, we're so grateful to get to play this sport full-time like we get to we get paid to play a sport we love. We live in San yeah. Diego and it seems like the good life like, it is from the, the outsider, life. but it is the good life, but it has yeah. its ups and downs and yeah. it's, it's grueling. And what's like one of the hardest bits about it for you? Like the training, the full-time program? I think just the mental tax of it, you know, like training in itself is stressful and then you have expectations set on you. Um, for your position and who you are as a player on the team, or if you're a leader, um, then you have to deal with um, many different people on a daily basis. Um, and that's really hard learning to deal with different personalities and some days it going well and some days it not. So it's just so many things mentally that are taxing that is the hardest for me especially because we're with each other all day, you know, and you go home and by the time you get home, you know, you just go to sleep, you shower, you eat and you go to sleep. And the next day you're with them again, when you're on tour, you're with them, you know? So it's like, imagine being with your siblings all day, almost every day, like, and you love what you're doing with them when it's good, but when it's bad, it's hard, you know, but at the end of the day, it's definitely worth the fight worth the fights, the sacrifice, the tiredness is worth all of it. It's it it can be so difficult at times and you bang heads and you and I we can go at it. <laughs> we, so, go. <laughs> we go at it more than most people. Yeah. Just two strong minded people just yeah. battling it out. Oh man, mm -hmm. I just remember when was that in like December? And we were just yelling at each other <laughs> on the field and everyone, the whole team just stops and is looking at us and yeah. we're just yelling, like both so solidified in our stance yeah. that we were right. And then mm -hmm. it took what Brownie at the end, he's like, was that a nice conversation those two were having? <laughs> and everyone's like, and no it's not always going to be nice, you know, but the thing is what I like about you is 
you, like you can come back, you can circle back around and say, hey, that, let's have the conversation again. And I feel like I've gotten a lot better with doing that, seeing that you do that. So it's like, it's okay to have those harsh, tough, tense conversations as long as you circle back and make sure like, are we on the same page about what we really were trying to say? Because man, like it's, you want to be like nice and like talk to the person how they would like to be talked to every single time, but in an environment like that, it doesn't always go like that. But we're family, you know, we're with each other every day and we can circle back because we know that relationship is very important. And I have so much respect for you and how you speak your mind. And at the same time, you are receptive to feedback and you've grown so much in that area. You've grown so much as a rugby player in these last four or five years that I've known you. And it's just, it's been incredible to watch. And for all the people listening, like go watch Anaya Tapper highlight reel. Like this woman (laughs) is unreal. She's unstoppable. I cannot wait to see you and play by you in Tokyo, you know that's the plan that we have in store for us Mm -hmm. but um no thank you so much for being on the show it's been absolute pleasure i love talking to you all the time but this has been great (laughs) and just a shout out you have started your own podcast is that right i have tell Um, us a little about it yeah me and my teammate lo we started a podcast under the with sports productions which is a woman's platform that gives women the opportunity to speak their mind, which I think is amazing because we don't have too many out there right now. And um, the podcast is called The Leo's Den. Me and Lo are both Leos, as well as the executive producer of With Sports. She's a Leo woman as well. And we kind of wanted to give a little more detail into the life of a female rugby player, not only on the field, but off the field, because I think a lot of people definitely are excited to watch us play and do the rugby thing but they also want to know like who are you as a human being so um, we started a podcast to kind of connect with our listeners which we call them our cubs to give them an insight into our rugby life but also our life off the field so please tune in Um, it's on my website at nightopper.com and you can also find us on instagram at leo leo's den underscore with sports or on spotify at with sports All right. We will definitely share the link as well. That's Eagle Watch with Naya Tapper and I'm Abby Gostaitis. We'll catch you next time. All right, Rob. It's it's that time of the week. Uh, I can already see the excitement growing on your face from the breakdown. It's time to actually get stuck into the games and analyze some of what went on in the matches. Uh, You know, what were your your thoughts of the round? Yeah, another great week, mate. Um, Week three, obviously, we're learning more about each team, each conference, uh, as we get more footage um, through the weeks here. And, uh, of course, we started in New England, the Free Jacks, their first ever home game. They've had a long time to wait. And uh, perhaps it was worth it. They celebrate with a great win over Utah. Uh, it, it, was a, it was a good game. And, 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 you know, congrats to the Free Jacks getting that first one off the bat. You know, they had to wait a long time with, with the shutdown last year and, and to finally get that game. And, you know, I think, you know, they had fans, there was activity going on, you could see promotion and, and involvement around the field. It, it was great to see. But if we look at the rugby, um, mm. you know, Utah had been on a bit of a roll in those first two games. For me, I felt the Free Jacks defensive efforts, especially in the, the, you know, the first 60 minutes or so of the game, just shut Utah down and allowed them to sort of, you know, that workmanlike 
mentality of just worked outworked them once they sort of were able to nullify the momentum and, and keep majority of the game in Utah's half for large parts. Yeah, and I think um, defense will be a theme we come on to right through this week because there's some really interesting things to look at there across a few of the games. Um, and I think Ryan Martin's putting his uh, stamp on the team here because uh, they're building an identity um, which is unbelievable to think after they got a shellacking in the first week by your mob, but they've come back. They uh, nilled Houston last week and then they've taken a, a Utah offense that was really rolling and they've really negated a lot of the threats across the field until, as you say, that last part of the, 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 the match. And I thought uh, the line speed was a feature. They were cutting off the edge. So when Hagen Schulte was looking for wide options, there was uh, there tended to be a free jack defender in that space. Um, and then I think it starts to get interesting then with, okay, that option shut down. Now, how, how do Utah as an attack respond to that? And what do they go to next? Uh, and it was interesting. They started going to a, a tactical kicking game, which I think is a, a good option. But it was kind of like 50-50, the execution of it. I don't think they're really pulling off. I don't think they've put enough time probably into training it because it's been such a short preseason. So you're, you're basically going to have to train something you can really hang your hat on. And for Utah, it's not been that game so far. Uh, so when they, they got out of their rhythm and went to the tactical kicking game, it was hit and miss. It was the right thing to do, but it was hit and miss. Until, of course, that great try with uh, Josh Whippy's uh, chip over the top. And, you know, we've spoken before, I love to see the attacking kicking game. I love to see how you can break the defence down and make them think a bit differently. Uh, and that was, of course, a wonderful bit of skill from Josh, who also happened as well as the kick and chase. He got on the end of it as well uh, to score the try and take the glory. No, we talked last week about the, the the use of attacking kicks to find space. And and that sums it up to me. You know, they, they were line speed, line speed in your face. There is space somewhere on the field when a team is coming up and aggressively coming after you. And and that kick and then eventually the fact Whippy, uh, you know, ended up on the, on the finishing of it. It was a good highlight for the MR, but it just highlights that, you know, the plan B or how to diversify your game plan is only going to grow week on week in this league. And, and I felt like Utah, as you touched on, they just hadn't had enough reps at trying to adapt to a different style. And the free jacks were well prepared to sort of stop them down. And I thought the Lions speed was effort, but also the effectiveness of the tackles, you know, those first up, uh, you know, tackles on those, those forwards coming off nine, the, the they were getting low and stopping a lot of momentum, which I think other teams hadn't done. Toronto definitely didn't do that the week before. And, and, and that to me just allowed free jacks to then control the speed of the ball. They, they, they picked their breakdowns reasonably well. And then, and then, you know, they, they know how to score, they know how to manage a game. But for me, the, the Utah, the notices with that many ball carriers in a side, you have to take away the momentum to really have a chance. In that last 20, I felt uh, free jacks fell off the pace a little bit. There was some good involvement uh, from the bench of, of big carriers coming on. And then, you know, finally, Mike Teo with a bit of space and, and time, what a try to finish the game. But, but I think it's valuable bonus point for Utah in a losing effort. So you've got to credit that. But also the Free Jacks are starting to build something. I think they're going to be a tough out for a lot of teams. Yeah, they, they, they came back and played some nice rugby at the end, Utah. But let's face it, um, Mika Cruze made a fantastic break, left-hand fend. He's gone 50 metres down the field uh, and then they kicked the ball away straight away after. Big chance gone. They had some good momentum in the um, Free Jacks 22. Mikey Teo comes in to nine to get his touches but he knocks on from that, yeah. that acting scrum half position. Then they go left and Manu knocks the ball on when they're in behind. So they had three big chances before the Mikey Teo try and they didn't take it. And I really think Free Jacks have controlled the game, but Utah did have chances there. 
And just another thing to pick up on, you said the low tackles from uh, Free Jacks. I also think with the low tackles behind the gain line, I think it's probably the best defensive breakdown uh, game I've seen from a defence. I think Joe Johnston's behind a lot of the good work that the Free Jacks are doing in, in attack and defence. But some of the clean-outs and the attacking ruck work was very poor by Utah in the first half. They weren't getting to the gain line. They were overshooting and they were too high. And they just weren't clearing out that uh, defender. And I think that's going to be something that we're going to have to keep an eye on in, in the coming weeks, that attacking breakdown work. No, absolutely. It's, it's so vital to, to, to such a vital cog to everything in the games. We've got Old Glory Toronto. Don't call it a comeback. We are the Toronto Arrows. And we're playing on the road all year, and uh, and we're, we're going to put our stamp on games again. And, and and it was back to it was back to Toronto of old. They keep it pretty simple. Um, you know, we were talking in the week about how we think they're going to play it. You know, they go through phases. They're very efficient at the attacking breakdown. I think they go through a lot more more phases than most teams. If you look at the last couple of seasons, and then they're very efficient. If if they've got a ruck and momentum, and the ruck's about forty meters. 30 metres uh, from the touchline, their four and five man plays, they're, they're the best in the business. Um, and what they did was they, they got, I think they got uh, Old Glory pushing and their bodies angling out because of the fast ball. And then they just start hitting the lead, the, the lead runners through the middle and then they can offload behind the back. Some of the offloading skills was, was brilliant in the outside channels. No, I thought, I thought the attacking rugby and, and that element of them was good. But uh, what really impressed, impressed me as well was the defence. And, and the way that I think that was a, a big uh, step up in the defensive department. They, they were, you know, line speed, organised tackles, being aggressive, getting turnovers at the breakdown and getting penalties that were just resulted in pressure and territory in um, it, it getting in, entries into uh, the opposition half. And then I, they also like the way that they pressured, you know, we, we talked about them last week, but Daboulis, young American 10 in that spot, they put a lot of pressure on him to exit, to make it difficult. And they got a fair bit of reward. And that, that's a learning experience for him in this league. And that's one of the things, one of the themes of developing American 10s, everything we talked about. But, but I felt that was another thing that sort of stopped sort of, um, Old Glory wrestling back control was the kicking game. Those battles as well. Uh, I thought the Arrows just had a, a very across the board, won a lot of the key exchanges and that gave gave them so many ins in the game. You've got very, very inexperienced 10, 11, 14. So you've got Cassano, Noble and Dabulus in the middle. And obviously Dabulus, as a, a kicking 10, he's going to find himself in the backfield a lot as well. And they picked on him. And that... Any good game plan, they're going to do that. You're going to pick on what you perceive as a weakness. And so they did kick into that space early, uh, which I thought worked really well for them. Um, and then uh, we can pick up again a couple of things. I think uh, Daboulos, I, I think he's it's brilliant. We're going to talk about nines and tens in the game, right? It's brilliant for us to have these young men coming through, and especially out of the American college system. He's probably seeing rugby in a light that he's never even thought about it before. Because he's been brilliant on the ball in the past. And everyone's like, he's the man. Let's push him forward. He, he was still very good on the ball. But now he's thinking about, I've, I've never been picked out in the backfield like this. I've never had defenders rushing at me with less time to make my decisions. Um, he still looks quite electric on the ball. He's got a nice left peg. But what a learning experience for him. And to sit behind Jason Robertson, it's fantastic to see these uh, young men getting their chance to develop. No, absolutely. And and I think it was just good to see the arrows back into it and and, and good to see the, the yeah. competitiveness in that game 
um, you know, and, and across the league and to see the arrow sort of right the ship. And, and, and I think that's a symptom of more time together as well. It, it, we've talked about disrupted preseasons on the previous show, how that can have effect, more reps, more time, a kick up the backside to actually go back to sort of finding that identity of what made them tick as a team, which I think was lacking yeah. in those opening games. And, and you put that together and, and the arrows look hot again. And, you know, the East is even yeah. more stacked. And, and you think of another yeah, team yeah. that can compete in the East. Yeah, it's interesting because you would have thought going into the season that um, they're one of the, they've got most continuity out of most teams through the years, Toronto. So you thought that would have been a huge benefit. But I think the disruption of having to train out in Atlanta and be away from home obviously had an impact. But that was back to the Toronto of old. Uh, and then one other feature of their defence, um, just to mention, they were coming up really hard in the middle, but slightly different to some of the other sort of blitz defences you might term. They'd come up in the middle and they'd check out and keep shape. Uh, and I thought it was really interesting a couple of times because Threaten, everyone knows Threaten as, you know, the physical runner he is and his try was unbelievable. Beat, beat four men on the way to scoring a fantastic try. But Threaten was putting in some beautiful... Uh, flat passes off his left hand particular but Toronto be patient they come up they check they keep shape and by the time that wide pass got out the 15's up there to shut off the edge and it, it was a different kind of defensive system than really just flying up into the space um, but it's nice to see that and uh, Old Glory probably struggled to find an answer to that outside of Fletton looking for an offload through contact um, and the other thing about the Toronto defence, mate, I just thought when Callum Gibbons came on for Old Glory, it completely changed Old Glory, right? They, they had a real spark and energy about them, but Toronto responded. And they, you, you know, it's difficult when you haven't had to put that much intensity into your defence to then pick it up in the 60th minute. Uh, and I thought they, they really responded to that challenge. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I like that connection in, in defence that you're talking about. And it just allows you to then defend for long phases and you might get the reward off the line speed in the in the in the phase before but then if the, it, it just it just allows you to sort of finish the job because you're connected you push them to a touch line you hold them in then you go again and you know you're probably going to get yeah. a kickback or something then and then i think that pressure from the arrows um it, it led to some poor kicks or some you know not ideal kicks back and i thought the arrows uh, from a counter-attack point of view looked quite dangerous as well as it uh, took a let at the the 15 for from the Argentinian he's looking to counter he's not afraid to chip in the middle lovely little footwork and yeah. breaks I thought it all played into their game plan really well and 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 that is you know yeah. what the arrows are about and what makes them tick yeah took a let and Mieres are just fantastic to watch you know because uh you, you got to really defend them two channels inside the way they can double step it's almost like sevens where you're working two or three channels inside the ball uh and the, the pace that they put onto the ball, I mean, it's fantastic to, to watch. I think the, the release timing is really good in that Toronto team. So great to see them uh, back and responding to the challenges of the first two weeks. And uh, it sets it up very nicely for the guilty. It, absolutely. The it's going to be a, a good contest, that one. While we're still on the round three action, uh, what's our next game, Rob? Okay. Um, the Saturday night game uh, was ATL Legion. Uh, obviously, a huge win for ATL, 41-22, uh, um, and a massive performance and a massive statement. Um, and, and now, really, they've had three games, uh, ATL, and they've knocked off Toronto and Legion at home. I mean, that's a brilliant start to the season. Obviously, they'll be disappointed with last week. But uh, again, huge credit to Scott Lawrence. 
Uh, and again, the talking point to me is the, the, the defence. And, and I'd say probably another part of that defence there, Corbs, is Nese Malifa, great defender himself. Um, and he's got those boys charged up. There's no better team in the league at bringing the line speed on the first pass from the nine to the forward pod and getting a double tackle. And that sets everything for ATL defence because it slows the ball down and then they can spread their width and come again. No, absolutely. I think, you know, when I watched the game from the early minutes, I thought, San Diego look a little bit better here. You know, they, 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 you can see their identity. I thought, you know, they look a lot of bit of Saracens-esque to me. You know, they've got big ball carriers yeah. in that pack. It was, it was a fast pitch, you know, with turf and everything. I was thinking, oh, they're going to do this. I saw them kicking, trying to execute, you know, get, exiting from their half, putting balls up to compete. Get, I could see the, the blueprint now of what Legion are trying to do. Like, I think their identity is slowly coming back. They just got, they just lost the battles they were trying to win. I thought, I thought that uh, Atlanta, for me, the, 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 the kicking exchanges, the, the frustration to keep, uh, Legion in their half by being on the wrong ends of too many of those exchanges and then getting the reward with their defense, the turnover, the set piece battle was back and forth. And I thought that Lance started to win it more as the game went on and maybe the damned burst of Legion under pressure. But the game, you know, stops and starts for me with that factor. I think one of the issues that we, we talked about, they didn't have Joe Peterson in the beginning. Now they've got him back. They don't have Nate Orsberger. I think when they get those two together, I think we'll see a massive uptake in them winning a lot of those kicking exchanges just with the continuity and the time they've had together and the understanding of the game plan. But then, yeah, that led to a lot of pressure defending in your own half and then a lot of errors or, or poor defense. And, you know, the game just got away from them. And, you know, Atlanta are looking organized. I think they've got, you know, they, they've got a good team. That tight head who, who came off the bench, the big Fijian, he looks tasty to me. And it's going to be, you know, now that he's going to be playing, he's, big he's going to be playing in that he's team week in, week out. I think, you know, they, they're starting to build this blueprint where, especially going down to theirs and they know how to play that field so well, they are a, a yeah. tough out. Yeah. I mean, you've got to say they probably out Legion the Legion. Exactly. Because it's, it's you know, we're going to look across the league here as the season develops. And we're talking about forming an identity as a team. You know, everything comes from your game model. So what, by, what I mean by that is you, you've got to understand what, what's our game model. What are we doing to maximize our strengths to achieve what we want to achieve in the game? So just a very basic example. You can see if you watch the Nola Rooney game, they're going to have a very different game model that they're trying to uh, execute than if you watch Atlanta Legion. Because Nola and Rooney, they're trying to run it from everywhere. They're trying to play. They're trying to make you tackle. They're trying to make you tired. And then you're going to make mistakes. And they're going to play to space. Legion and Atlanta are happy, or Legion in the past have been, to kick accurately in behind you, put pressure on, defend high up the field, force errors. Ultimately, what it comes down to, Corbs, is what's the best possession to create in a game? So the best possession we know is scoring you're going to score the most tries off lineouts you're going to score second or th and then third most give or take looking across different leagues in, in in the world from turnovers kick return and then scrum all of them are possessions within the, the opposition's half you've got much much better chance of scoring from possession in the opposition half so atlanta won that battle over and over again because when they kicked they kicked to turn San Diego or they could kick to compete. And they did it in different ways. A great highlight of that is the second try for O'Keefe came from a left scrum. Legion are defending Peterson at the back. So what do they do? There's different ways to kick. They, they 
they shifted the ball one to bring the, the left winger up, Basson. Then they kick him behind to draw Joe Peterson forward into a physical contact that he probably doesn't want to take because there's three ATL men running at him because they're breaking a, a, a connection between the winger and fullback by their movement. They turn Joe over at the contact. Then they move left where the Legion forwards are retreating from the scrum and O'Keefe scores in the left side. And that's just a brilliant use of the tactical kicking game, aside from what we might ordinarily think of as just long or high kicks to compete. Beautiful, mate. A beautiful. And I th- mate, you're, you're analysing exactly where those little ins for, for, for Atlanta, th- those decide the game. When there's two teams that are trying to, you know, to... to to play to, to win those exchanges and put the balance back in their favor as you said with, with they want to they want to play in the right areas of the field they want to put pressure on force errors and then look dangerous and in Atlanta just just were the better at it on the day yeah and when you talk about forcing errors the third try just after half time you know I thought the commentators on the day brought, brought up some really good points um uh, Pete and then uh, James on the sideline they brought up some great points about the lack of attacking options for Legion. It was becoming easy to defend uh, for ATL because there was no second wave of attack. There was no changing of angles. Uh, but then they also said, well, they should, shouldn't kick as much and they should, they should try and play. Well, they come out in the second half. They play from inside their own half. They spill the ball and Atlanta go and score. To me, that's giving Atlanta exactly what they want to achieve. Turnover ball in the opposition half, great opportunity to score. So it can't be as generic as like, okay, we just need to start running it now. You still need to pick the right times. You still need to um, analyze where the best space is. And I thought in that position, they had a great, they, that position of the field, they had a great chance to turn Atlanta with a longer kick. Uh, otherwise, they just played into Atlanta's head. And if you do run, then the point of James and Pete is absolutely spot on. You have to at least change an angle or make the Atlanta defenders make a decision. The Atlanta defenders just didn't have to make any decision. They could come up hard and in straight lines. And remember, that defence is high risk, high reward. Well, there isn't much risk if you're not making decisions. You just keep coming and coming and coming and taking the gain line away. Absolutely. Absolutely, mate. And, um, you know, I could get lost on, on this for, for ages with you. Like, as you used to play, you know, strategically, you play like a Saracens S team. You have to kick more. You have to play that game with them to just not get trapped yeah. in your own half and give them what you want. That, that is the crux of it. Like you, any team yeah. that plays like yeah. that, there automatically has to be a higher rate of kicking in the game. Otherwise you're just playing yeah, into yeah. the hands. But you have to kick accurately. Oh, and obviously Legion weren't doing that. They were losing the battle because they, when they kicked to compete, they weren't competing. And when they kicked long, they weren't turning them. So they're getting no results. And uh, so that's a huge part of the game. And, uh, you know, we're speaking to Matt Turner later Um and when we started MLR, that wasn't even a part of the game. Uh, people weren't analysing the backfield. They weren't uh, analysing the kick game. Um, but now with better camera angles, you've got the wide view, the end view. We can start teaching, teaching that part of the game more. And it's a huge part of the game. Interesting thing to add. When we come to uh, the crunch time in the season and we get to playoffs, it's very important to have that aspect to your game because everyone's going to come with hard defense. So if you start trying to play wide early and you haven't earned it, you're going to get caught behind the gain line. So it's actually a great, great platform for Atlanta to, to move on from. Just, just a couple of points on Legion here because, you know, you know, it's a bit of, it's an issue now. We've seen Toronto struggle in their first two games and then really show their true colors. Well, Legion, that's the two highest scores they've ever shipped 
in MLR in two of their first three games, and they haven't lost a game by more than seven points since early 2018. So, some, again, there's something not quite right there. The Vegas move is having a bigger impact. You've got great players, great coaches, uh, but that move to Vegas, it, I think it's taken more out of the squad and they haven't really been put in a position to succeed because they, they just don't look like themselves at the moment. Mate, great insight. And, I, and I'm sure there's not many people outside of that group who know this team better than yourself. All right, Legion and Atlanta put to bed. What's our next game, Rob? Last game of the weekend then, Austin... And Houston uh, playing for the Texas Cup, which got everyone in Texas very excited. Texans love everything bigger and better, like that cup. I, I, I could see it. wasn't the, It wasn't a, It wasn't the greatest game, though, was it? Of all the games on the weekend, it was it was the harder one uh, to watch. I found. Yeah, forwards dominated uh, Cobb. So uh, well, yeah. Well, this is the thing. Like, I, I, <laughs> it was two teams that have a a game plan built around forward dominance and forward control. And it was just 80 minutes of a wrestle for that. There wasn't that much, like tons of rugby played. It came down to who won those exchanges, who got the forward penalties in the middle of the field that got those entries down to the 22. And, and then um, I I thought Austin's drive game, you know, nothing like crazy uh, radical they did there just you know converted and put pressure on and either had a pick and go or two and had the, either the line break to get down there near the into their 22 they had a couple penalties they kicked the corner they scored a nice try at the end to sort of round the game off but it was just an arm wrestle of a game where large parts no one was scoring Houston didn't score at all which is I think we've got to get on to as another discussion but the game on a whole yeah. it, it was it was a forward fest mate yeah and um Really great to see Mason Cott get a, get a brace there. Um, and again, another another college um, draftee. So uh, Mason, uh, alumni from uh, Dartmouth College. So great to see him get it and uh, get two tries there. Uh, that's his second start. Fantastic experience. And I think uh, Big Whopper got the third. And I think uh, Mason had a chance to score that on a pick and go. And get his hat trick, in, you know, after about half an hour. And I think Big Whopper might have actually pushed him out the way so he could score it himself. He didn't want he didn't want the, the, the kid having the bragging rights. I don't think. Let's get on to Houston, Rob. Two games, zero points. I believe that's the first time we've seen that in the MLR. Where what's going wrong? Yeah, that's stale. That's crusty. I'm not sure what you can do. I'm not sure where you go from there. I think they should give Ryan Martin a call because what did they concede 40 odd points the first week and they they conceded zero the next. So maybe they can do something in reverse. I don't know next week, but that's two zips in a row. Um, yeah, just just pretty blunt in attack. And uh, I think you know it sums up a little bit where the West is at at the moment because that's a Houston team that beat Seattle on the the first day um, and then they go zip zip. Uh, so it, it's 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 tough. Uh, I think. Um, the forwards need to, to obviously lay a platform uh, for Sam Windsor. The, the big one you, you're mentioning is Devet Roos is, is, is a huge miss, right? Um, but again, they're going to have to come up with something different. They're going to ha- find a way to move move the defence. Um, and, and I'm really interested to see what happens because they got a big game next week with, uh, with the Legion visiting. And uh, that's going to be a really interesting no. one. I, 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 listen, they, they need more options in attack. Uh, the game plan is built up from watching it. Forward dominance, Devet Roos on the front foot, and Windsor steers them in the right areas of the field with his boot. Like that, 
really is the game plan at the moment without Devet Roos there. And then in this game, without clear forward dominance, just didn't convert anything. And, and they've had threats in the past, you know, where they can break a game open with Josh Vesey. Uh, they've got Dicky Dicky Latte, who I've seen a lot of footage on that bloke. And he's 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 got highlights yeah. reel uh, playing for Fiji Warriors. Uh, but we haven't really seen it too much so far. Um, and so they've kind of relied on an individual spark in the past. Um, and they just they just haven't had that in the last two games. And then as a team, they haven't been able to create something through their pattern. All right, those are the games done and dusted. But Rob, now it's time to look ahead to the to the round, the upcoming round four action. Quick preview. Hit us through your thoughts on the games. Okay, so we start up with uh, the one we've been waiting for. So your boys have had their feet up. A few pina coladas <laughs> after the last game. Some guiltinis, nah, uh, Jake. But... Guiltinis or some Hawaiian cocktails, guiltini mix. I'm not sure what it is, but they've probably... Uh, uh, benefited from some rest. They've had another week of footage. I think it will really benefit LA seeing Toronto play as well as they did. I think that's actually a great thing for LA in terms of the prep. And uh, they're gonna they're gonna head out to Nola for that game. So how do you see that one from inside? I, the camp? I think you know the big question or what you got to see from it is is how do LA look playing away? They've had two home games, never played an away game with with this travel and everything. How do they, you know, go out there and put consistent product on? That's going to be a big factor. They need to get right as as the league goes on. When you're playing Toronto, you just can't fall into the traps that you know that they did well that we already talked about on the game. And and I think, you know, game control, physicality in the collisions, um, you know, dominance. Who gets dominance in the set piece? Those things will decide who gets to control their game their, their game plan in that game. And and, and I think it's a good matchup. I'm chuffed that the arrows hit their stride because I, I think, like you agree, I think LA need to to go there wary of of what could happen. And I, and I think you know it it's a big factor now on 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 the league and and it it's a question mark that needs to be answered is was that a blip from Toronto or is that them back to their best? And this will be a great way to test that and find that out. Yeah, I think this is a huge game for the league. It's uh, if LA run away with this, you're like, well, who's in their way? Uh, traditionally, Toronto has been the hardest place to go in terms of the travel. It, that's taken away a little bit now because it's not in Canada. It's been having to play uh, uh, in America. So they take that home advantage away. And it's obviously a tough gig for Toronto being on, on the road all the time. Um, but I think this is obviously the match of the week. It's going to be really interesting. I think one thing to keep an eye on, Corbs, uh, and I'm sure you have got your BDI on this, is that uh, Toronto front row. So you're talking about... Um, Tyler Rowland, 21, Quatrin, 25, uh, and Cole Keith, 23. Great prospect, prospects, but young. Um, I'm not sure if they'll rotate that I this week. I think they have their, their Argentinian tighthead who was got banned in week one. I believe he's now back and available for selection. But I agree with you. Matt, I'm a big fan of Quatrin at Hooker. I like his size. Oh, I like his work that. around the ball. Yeah. I think he's still young enough as well. I remember I spoke to Kinsley Jones about him, who them in in Canada are very high on him. And yeah, they, they they've put together a you know a decent outfit there. I think bringing in the experience at tight end will help them a little bit up front. And I think it's going to be a better Toronto week to week. They're, especially now they ha- they have so much continuity and they've got the reps together. They're only just going to keep improving. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. So um, can I have your prediction for that oh, game, please? On the spot. Uh, my <laughs> prediction for that is an LA win. 
Oh, really? uh, I think yeah, it will be okay. more competitive than than like people who saw maybe the first two games and and want to jump on that. I think than yeah. people think. I think this will be a yeah a, a good game. It's still interesting at this stage of the season. Is it better to have a rest or is it better to have another game under your belt? So later, in this, I always prefer to have a bye later in the season. Uh, at the start of the season, we'll play. So maybe that um, LA having their feet up uh, actually helps Toronto. So we'll see, um, but that's going to probably be the game of the week. Absolutely. All right, next game, mate. AGs fresh off their uh, their first big win. Congratulations to them. Uh, they're off the mark and they got a tough one traveling to New Orleans. This is a tough game, mate. Uh, I think it comes down to a little bit of you know control of 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 what Austin are able to do to Nola because you know what you're going to get with Nola, a team that look to play, a team that want to move the ball. Uh, they've got some dangerous strike runners. You're going to look to score tries. And so far from Austin, we've seen less of that. I, I saw more in this game of them looking to play than, than we had done in the previous games. Even just the ability yeah. to take tapping goes and not just fall into their sort of mole, kick corner sort yeah. of game. So I, I, I think they'll they'll look to be physical, look to take on Nola. But I think Nola at home, I, I predict Nola are, are, are going to score enough tries to win that game. Yeah, Nola have looked as though uh, it's going to be tough score especially at the gold mine, to stop them scoring points is going to be tough. I don't think the AGs are going to be able to hang with them there. But the AGs do look better. Again, the halfback pairing is so important. Having Pete Cowley back with uh, Mac Mason there, uh, I think that's a good combination for them to build off, but they're not going to have enough to go to New Orleans, I wouldn't have thought. The only other aspect on that game I would add is I think that uh, Nola has a pretty decent line out and, and especially defensively have been able to pressure teams. And and I, and I think, you know, with Austin, a lot of their tries and points they have scored have come off malls and different areas of that. So I think yeah. just keeping an eye out for, for, for Nola's line out, if they get superiority there, it could even ship the game further into, into their hands. Cuts off the supply. And again, yeah, you go in with your game plan, whether it's, you know, you, we talked about seeing an inexperienced back three, you're going to target them, or you see an opportunity to cut off supply at the line out, and you want to take away what the opposition wants yeah. to do. Uh, and I think Nola with a week's um, uh, extra video footage there and Cam Dolan uh, do, doing the homework, I think uh, you, you're right. They may strangle them there uh, and then get their real wide game going. All right, Rob, what's our next game to preview? Okay, so one and two Legion travel to one and two Houston. Two teams desperate for a win. Uh, I, I think Houston in worse place than Legion are. Um, I think Legion just need more time and we've already dissected where they need to improve. I think they improve. And I think just the physicality with the ball carriers as well and what that will create for them in attack. Um especially playing a team that isn't going to try and suffocate them like Atlanta did. I, I, I think it's a Legion win. I agree. Uh, I, I'm not sure that uh, Houston will be uh, able to cope with like Sam looks unplayable at the moment, the way he's running. I mean, obviously his try was amazing, but he also set up the first try by getting gain line in the 22. Um, I think Legion need Kenny Nasagenge and CC and some of those big carriers, Dean Muir and that to, to, to join him and give him some of that gain line. If they get that gain line, um, they're going to put it together soon enough coming up here. So uh, I would expect Legion to go away and have too much for Houston. Agreed. Seawolves coming off a bye uh, are going to head out to uh, league leaders, Utah. This is a tough game. Uh, it, it just depends to me, you know, how, how much the time off has helped Seattle improve. And, and you know, yeah. 
if they if they're able to I, in that LA game we already talked about, but if they get on the front foot, if they if the game plan works for them, they're well oiled enough machine with enough time as a team and identity to know how to score. But when you play Utah, you've got to win your collisions. You've got to you've got to stop this these ball carriers creating that momentum for them in attack, and it just allows them to run riot on teams and score silly amounts of points. And I think Utah just more time, more games, uh, and and still have like players coming into the mix for them. I, I think it's it's Utah's game. Yeah, it's a really interesting one because you look at. Um... What's the belief in the Seattle squad at the moment? Because it'd be interesting to speak to Matt Turner later, but they're coming off, they lost to Houston and Houston just, Houston scored 30 against them and scored nil and nil in the next two games. So, and then Seattle went to LA and got hiding. So where are they at mentally at the moment? Do they believe they can, they can go there? And then, and then for Utah, I think the really interesting thing is their next three games. They have Seattle, uh, then where do they go? Seattle, San Diego, Houston. Utah could win all three, uh, the way they're going and the way those other teams are going. And if Utah come out of that three-game uh, streak with three wins, they're going to be right up there with LA fighting it out and the other teams are going to be really dropping back behind. So this game is a huge opportunity for Utah. The West is wide open with you know LA... Obviously looking good, but Utah are building a score, which, you know, if they get three wins there, it makes them very hard for other teams to track down in this West. Last game of the weekend to preview. It's Rooney uh, and they're at Atlanta. Yeah, and we're talking about uh, game models and philosophies and how you play. You couldn't get two more different from the opening weeks here because Rooney uh, against Legion and against Nola wanted to throw it around from everywhere, uh, perhaps uh, for their benefit in the first game and to their detriment in the second game. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if they make any tweaks uh, because when it went wrong against Nola, there didn't seem to be any change. They just kept they just kept going through with the same plan and conceded two interceptions and one kind of knock-on almost interception try. And then ATL, can they back it up? They look very, very impressive. And again, you, you know, you talk about opportunities and momentum in the league and statements. If ATL do a number on uh, Rooney, um, they're going to be looking like a, a real threat in the East. Although, you know, as we're talking about, the East looks very, very competitive, where at the moment, unfortunately, the West below uh, LA and um, Utah looks pretty substandard. Matt, I think you're spot on. Um, for me, I think Atlanta look like they have a tailor-made game plan to, to frustrate Rooney from what I've seen from Rooney. TBD, who wins those? Rooney have some carriers in their side, mate. They have good set piece. That that's a recipe to nullify if they kick well. What Atlanta do, but I, it's just going to come down to the game again and and how Rooney sort of marshal that that game plan of Atlanta and and don't fall into the trap of just getting stuck in your own half trying to play because that affected them against Nola and now you got a team that's actually looking yeah. to strangle you into that. That could be where they come unstuck. And they probably know that Andy Ellis and the experience and, and Marty Veal and everyone they have there, I'm sure they'll have a, a few tricks or, or, or ideas of how they want to cope with that Atlanta style. Yeah. I'm really interested to see what Ellis and Hollingshead come up with uh, in collaboration with Marty Veal. Uh, and just remember here, Atlanta don't, they don't mind possession stats. Don't worry them. They don't care about possession stats. So they want to, they want to defend for large parts of the period at large periods of the game, like they did against Legion, whereas New York want possession stats. They want to attack. They want to make you tackle. They want to make you concede penalties. So the adjustments with, between those 
uh, is going to be very, very interesting. And how Rooney, uh, really Rooney adjusts to, to the ATL game plan and if they can take that away from them. Sets up a fantastic weekend of matches, doesn't it, mate? All right, Rob, it's time for a new little aspect of the show. And we're going to hit you each week. Uh, with round three, MLR's biggest winners. Okay, looking at the winners from this week, there's a few contenders. I think you, you've got to start with Utah. Congratulations. They've gone top of the pile, uh, getting their two uh, losing bonus points. I think a, a missed opportunity uh, to stretch that lead at the top, but can't go further than them sitting on top of the pile. And then again, you've got to mention in the East, Atlanta. What a performance, a statement performance. The East is hotting up, a lot of competition there. Uh, but Atlanta going top in the East, congratulations to them. And lastly, the men with their feet up, a guillotine in hand, LA. It was a great week for them. Utah didn't win. Uh, they slipped a point behind them. LA still have scored the most points in the league despite playing a game less than most teams. 99 points scored and looking to add to it at, against Toronto next week. So, Rob... That's a wrap on your first show as, as an official host on the American Rugby Show. How does it feel? Our oh, belt-in experience, Corbs. It's been an absolute pleasure to be led by the maestro and uh, great chat with Matt. I'm really looking forward to uh, that Seattle game uh, next week. It's, it's going to be last versus first in the MLR, but with the way things are going, we, we don't know who's going to come out on top on that, and that's a, that's a great thing about the MLR at the moment. That's why we love the MR. And thanks for the kind words. Uh, if people could see the outtakes for this show, they would see that it's actually been you who've been dragging me <laughs> through this show after a busy week. But we'll, we'll leave that to there. But no, for, for everyone on the show, for Matt, for Abby, for Naya, for everyone, thanks so much for supporting the show. Make sure you subscribe on whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, on YouTube. Keep sharing it. Keep growing our social at the American Rugby Show on Instagram. And just keep telling your friends and spreading the word. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.